0: The Koi gig pod. I'm laughing because I was listening to a conversation that the City girls were having and they were just going on about this throw-in and I was like, yeah, that's our weapon in the World Cup Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now OTB AM With Gillette, in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo Ben Jacobs is with us. Ben, good morning to you, how are you? Good morning, how are you? Um, let's start with Graham Potter and and Chelsea and um, this little difficult moment he's having. I guess for him, the break can't come soon enough. There is the small matter of Newcastle before the break happens though, which uh, I think is going to have a lot to do with the mood music that the four-week break has around Stamford Bridge.
1: I agree with you. We're still comparatively early in the season because we won't have all of the usual festive fixtures, but this game at St. James's Park feels pivotal for both Chelsea and Newcastle as well in the race for top four. But from Potter's perspective, it's going to set the tone because uh, Chelsea, with another loss, or even arguably that failed to win, enter into the international break because of the World Cup. And they know that January is going to be essential. And suddenly there's a lot of time to linger On whatever happens at St James's Park and I think there was such a golfing class between Chelsea and Arsenal and then the Brighton result was a heavy defeat as well and a stark reminder to Graham Potter of exactly the task at hand and naturally you can look at Chelsea as a long-term project but Graham Potter is on one of the worst runs at the football club, period, because Chelsea don't lose a string of games. And you have to go back two or three years to find this kind of lull in form. So Graham Potter is not under pressure in terms of his imminent future at Chelsea. But if they can head into that World Cup break with a win at St. James's Park, then suddenly that's a momentum builder. If they lose that game, then it only illustrates how much work needs to be done in January. They've had their injuries with Wesley Fofana and Reece James. They've had the expected, but I think still unfortunate incident of Romelu Lukaku going to Inter. And that of course created a necessity to find more goals. And then, Someone like Raheem Sterling just hasn't clicked in a new position. So you can tell what Graham Potter's trying to do, but he's going to have to do it quickly and get something against Newcastle. Otherwise, Chelsea are obviously going to have a long, long period to linger over the fact that there's a very realistic possibility that they're not going to make the top four.
0: One of the underrated things that maybe... um we forget sometimes in football is about the team dynamics, the dressing room, the importance of all that kind of stuff. We 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 kinda of underplay it. It's like, well a good manager's gonna come in and just make sure everybody believes him and and uh, but with a couple of defeats when you're trying something new, it's easy for ill feeling to foment. And uh, if if you're you know somebody who has come in on big money who's used to winning like Raheem Sterling and things aren't going well for you and suddenly you're dropping out of the England team, perhaps, at a World Cup. It's not great for team morale. And I don't know anything specifically about him, but I'm just using that as an example. And you can see how that could spread relatively quickly in a changing room. So it's not like he's under pressure from the hierarchy, but I'd say he must be feeling some pressure from his team to, like, we're a really good team, full of players who've won literally everything that there is in the game. What's going on here? Why are we losing to Brighton? Why can't we compete at the level that we're used to competing?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that is down to the turmoil at the club, both good and bad. Ultimately, Chelsea came off the back of sanctions, a very speedy sale that impacted the club in terms of transfer windows because they couldn't move in January. They didn't know where they would stand towards the beginning part of the summer. And then Todd Bowley and Berdag Agbali from the majority owner, Clear Lake Capital, have come in and they've changed the board. They've assumed titles within recruitment And Thomas Tuchel obviously got sacked as well. And the backdrop behind a lot of the exits was also due to some of the things that I've mentioned as well. So Antonio Rudiger said very openly he'd have loved to stay at Chelsea, but nobody was able to come back to him and offer him a contract because of the situation. So he went elsewhere. And even someone like Cesar Azpilicueta, who stayed, spent a lot of the summer thinking about leaving. Romelu Lukaku I've already mentioned as well. And when you have that kind of dressing room of senior players, some of which know they're outgoing and others that wanted to be outgoing but didn't get a move and now are still at the football club. Yes, they've kind of U-turned. Yes, it's their decision to stay. But it can be very difficult to find that chemistry and solidity because if you're any of the other players, you don't really know what's going on. Christian Pulisic for example didn't really get on with Thomas Tuchel and if a right offer came in would have been open to a move and now he has to kind of redefine himself much happier under Graham Potter but once again it's a player forced psychologically to think about an exit and then remain at the football club and then add to that a new manager a new system a new ownership group a new model new incomings on the recruitment side and the whole football club is just in transition it's a very ambitious transition it's a very positive transition but there's going to be teething problems and then if you look at fresh blood which always helps in this kind of context Raheem Sterling is in a different position he's being asked at times to play wing back Rhys James Wesley Fafana have found themselves injured Dennis Zakaria comes in and has struggled for minutes, even though when we've seen him, he's looked relatively impressive at times. Amando Broya is told that he's got a big future, but doesn't start every game. Aubameyang was a Thomas Tuchel signing. So you can see the pattern here, that not every player quite fits yet into the model and the mentality that's being built. And that's going to take time. But unfortunately, because they're Chelsea Football Club, they need results imminently
0: that uh, that new model that you mentioned Ben you know that the new board the new personnel involved the new ownership uh like the quote struck me from from Graham Potter this week where he said i would say it's a little bit unfair to assess chelsea now because the change of ownership has happened we're on a new direction a new path and ultimately that is part of the challenge like does he have an indefinite excuse here an indefinite leash because of the new ownership do you think
1: I don't think an indefinite leash, but certainly he's entitled to get through a full season and stamp his mark. And I think beyond that, even if Chelsea don't make the top four, there'll of course be fan outrage and questions being asked. But my understanding remains that this ownership group will be patient. It's very easy at the moment to see them as impatient because within a couple of months, they've changed almost everything, but now they've made their decisions. I think Graham Potter was seen as a fit and a fit for building a model, and also a fit for working within a new way of recruiting, specifically for Chelsea, regardless of that broader multi club model. And with Thomas Tuchel, the problem was not his pedigree or his talent as a coach, it was his relationship with Todd Bowley and Ed Ag- Barley. And they fell out during pre season. And Thomas Tuchel didn't like how closely the owners, whether they had their owner hat on or their recruitment hats on, were involved within the football, whereas Graham Potter is quite happy to see what Chelsea are building and allow some kind of control and power to others within this so-called recruitment team, which is obviously still being built. And in that context, he's the right fit. So naturally, if Chelsea just keep losing a string of games, how many can you lose before you are sacked? That's just football. But it's far too early and unfair on Graham Potter to be thinking on those terms because we've only seen flashes of what he can do. But this, again, is part of the appeal of Potter, but also the risk of Potter. The appeal comes in his affability and in his man-management and in his desire to build the club model, but the risk comes in the fact that he's never managed a club of this stature. So if you had a manager that already had the pedigree and things weren't going right, then perhaps fans in particular would say, we understand what you're trying to do and we'll give it time. But some will say, if Chelsea keep on losing that Potter specifically because of that inexperience at a club like Chelsea is to blame. And that adds even more pressure. Yeah, I think it's unfair, but it's just the reality of
0: football. uh, It's a really interesting situation that they find themselves in. And, um, yeah, I think people wish him well. Uh, one thing you mentioned there, Aubameyang, obviously, was a, specifically a, a Tuchel signing. Um, at what point do we begin to see the club making signings that are based on the style of play that they want to implicate on a week-in, week-out basis? I guess, at what point do we start to see a plan to the signings?
1: I think the plan in terms of the signings was actually there before Graham Potter in the sense that Chelsea need to sign out of necessity. So you could make an argument that Graham Potter would have enough for his style and his plan if everybody was fit, but they're not. And again, that's football and it's partially down, no doubt, to the congested fixture calendar as well. So Rhys James, Wesley Fofana would obviously be integral at the back and then Romelu Lukaku had already gone because of his relationship with Thomas Tuchel to Inter long before Potter came in. And yes, they got Aubameyang, but there's other targets and Kunku being one of them. But the plan ultimately is and was that Chelsea need a defender more and also need to significantly revamp their midfield. And then if they can get a planned striker over the next window or two, then Graham Potter will have the depth. And talent. So the specific names may change, which is why, for example, Kai Sado in midfield will come into the mix because he was there at Brighton with Graham Potter. But Edson Alvarez is one to watch out for in January. Declan Rice is one to watch out for next summer. Chelsea will enter the race for Jude Bellingham as well. And then Denzel Dumfries could easily be a Chelsea target again at the back. And these positions, at least, were always on the radar. And Graham Potter fully backs that. And then the broader plan, the longer term plan, is to add youth into Chelsea that can be developed over time, both through the football club and when they get it via a multi-club model. And that will obviously allow them to invest in players earlier on longer term contracts. And if they come through, then that's cost effective okay. and you've secured young talents early. And yeah. If they don't come through, you can still sell them on for a profit.
0: That makes okay. sense. Um, I guess that's the, the um what City have managed to do uh, with some of their players coming through and it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves over the next few years as well so on balance um, the hierarchy at Chelsea are relatively patient they'd like to see some uh, results but it does does definitely make this Newcastle game really really important even in, in the race for the top four now is there a world in which they don't qualify for the Champions League and the hierarchy still says okay, Potter we, we, you know, we're, we're not very pleased with this, but we're going to stick with you.
1: I think it will depend on the success of the January window. At the moment, Potter is unsackable and that's because he's brand new to the job. And they told him when he joins that, of course, top four was the target, but they wouldn't just wield an axe if they didn't make it across one season because they believe that Graham Potter can turn things around. But it's all about the manner in which Chelsea do or don't qualify for the top four. And quite clearly, if they just keep losing games and they're miles off the top four and they feel like it's down to Graham Potter not... Evolving to how Chelsea work and also how their model develops, then that's one thing. And ultimately, we don't know how that's going to pan out. But right now, the relationships behind the scenes are very good between Potter and Todd Bowley in particular. And all of these new recruitment heads are still coming into the football club. But again, you have to look out for, in January in particular, what Potter is armed with. Because if three or four players of quality come in and Chelsea have a bigger window than most and they will have played less games comparative to usually a busy festive period, then they'll have plenty of time to turn things around. And then if they get to the end of the season and Chelsea are not in the top four, then Graham Potter assumes more of the accountability because he's had a January window and he's been backed. Whereas right now it's Thomas Tuchel's window and it's Thomas Tuchel's side and it's an injury hit side and it's a new model and it's a new ownership group, which is why... There's no danger that Graham Potter is going to go at this point. But it's all about the manner, as I say, in which they either do or don't qualify for the top four. And no doubt that will be assessed come the end of the season. Uh,
0: ben, Nathan Jones was, was watching Southampton beat Sheffield Wednesday last night on penalties in the, in, in the League Cup from from the crowd. And I know he takes charge for the first time at Anfield on, on Saturday. No better way to start off your tenure uh, as a Premier League manager. Um, for maybe people who haven't been watching his Luton side in the Championship and aren't familiar with him, he's got the the dreaded, highly rated tag. But, but what can people expect when he takes charge of Southampton? I
1: think that he's a very passionate manager. He's a tactician. He obviously reached a playoff final, which he lost with Luton, which was an incredible achievement. He'd also got them promoted up to the Championship as well. So all of the stuff we've seen from Luton is very positive. I think the only... Question mark is around that unsuccessful nine months in charge when he went to Stoke in 2019 and then he was sacked and ended up going back to Luton in May of the following year. And Luton at the moment are ninth in the championship. It's obviously a very tight division, so they're only a couple of points off the playoffs. So I think Southampton fans will be hoping he makes that transition up to premier league football and he's been appointed because southampton believe that he's a motivator he's somebody very capable of being versatile in terms of his tactics he will get southampton disciplined and they also believe if a dogfight is necessary. And that is looking likely at the moment from Southampton's perspective, then he's the right man for the job. But it's going to be really difficult. And I think one of the key reasons why they like him is because Southampton have got a lot of youth coming through. Everybody obviously talks about Lavia, Bazunu, the goalkeeper as well, Larios, the fullback too. And this was all part of a strategy by... Hasenhutl to some extent, but also Joe Shields, who obviously only had a short tenure at Southampton as their director of recruitment and then ended up leaving for Chelsea. And Shields tried, because he'd come from Manchester City, to bring in youth and give Southampton a future in terms of box office young talent, Lavia being the main one, that could really help Southampton play a more attractive style of football and have consistency over six or seven seasons with the talent that, they bring to the football club. And then obviously Shields left and Hasenhutl kind of fell out with him and felt like the side was too young and lacking in experience. And Broyer had ended his loan spell at Southampton and gone back to Chelsea and Che Adams, even though he has some potential, hasn't really been a huge source of goals. And Romeo obviously isn't there either. So... There's a few problems that Jones is going to have to inherit, but the main one is that he's going to have to get the best out of a lot of young players and quickly, otherwise Southampton can be in big, big trouble. So it's a risk-reward appointment, really. It's a manager that doesn't have Premier League experience, but has all of the right attributes as a coach to get Southampton out of
0: trouble. Yeah, some good team is going to get sucked into the relegation battle because it's the first time in many years where you can't automatically say that team and that team are going down and even the teams who are in the relegation zone could be relatively big spenders Uh, in the uh, January transfer window and also who knows what the hell is going to happen with regards to the players who go to the World Cup and what kind of physical and mental state they're going to come back in so um, there's a lot up for grabs at the moment one last thing I know you've been looking at the uh, World Cup squads um, particularly the uh, American players who are going but is there anything that strikes you from um, the last 24-48 hours as the squads start to come out about which of these teams is in better health or worse health than we might have thought six months out 12 months out
1: I think the French squad was relatively expected and I think it's interesting because they've got quite a high average age but a lot of that comes from a kind of Mandana Lloris Benzema and so on but Yusuf Fafana is in there Chuameni is in there Cavaminga is in there and that to me suggests that the younger players, particularly those that four years ago were not in the mix, are really going to stand up and help France continue to dominate. So that's going to be very intriguing for me and even though people will kind of talk about Mbappe, I'm more interested with the French squad around some of those young players that I've mentioned and how many minutes they play, especially the midfielders. And how integral they can be. Because France sometimes are quite nonchalant in World Cups. They get going reasonably slowly. And they won't have that ability, I don't think, in this World Cup. Because anyone that starts tired, anyone that starts on the back foot, anyone that has a little wobble, any squads that pick up a little bit of an injury. I think the damage is going to be more intensified in a mid-season World Cup and therefore there'll be a lot of pressure on the more disciplined defensive midfielders playing for France to kind of keep the shape and ensure that the more creative players around them have that space and freedom to do the damage that we know that France can do. Argentina is obviously a really interesting one as well, uh, simply because Scaloni's done a really good job and has brought in a few fresh faces. So I think even though South American sides don't traditionally travel well to a wake up, they can't be discounted. And then just briefly on uh, America, I was a little bit disappointed that Tim Ream wasn't called up, but... It's clear that he was just sort of seen as a little bit too old comparative to other options. It's good to see Cameron Carter-Vickers in there. He's had a good season with Celtic. I don't think it was a big surprise that James Sands wasn't involved. There were a lot of other options in that position. So the only one within the American squad that was a surprise to me, a real surprise to me, uh, was No. Peppy, who is young, and yet again, there were other options. I think he did enough and I think he would have been a good addition to the US. But it's much the squad that we expected there. And obviously, their game against Wales in particular is going to be key to deciding whether they or the Welsh can get out.
0: Ben, good stuff. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. All the best. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Moe.